Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Our topic today is, how can I become a more patient person? There was a man who prayed, Oh Lord, make me patient and do it now. Well, what does the Bible teach on how we can become more patient? Would you turn with me in the New Testament to James chapter 5? The people to whom James is writing his letter were very impatient about something. Let's find out what it was. James chapter 5, and let's pray before we begin. Father, we do pray that you help us exhibit one of those fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is patience. Teach us, Lord, now how to become patient people for your glory and for our own well-being. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 5, what were they impatient about? Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What were they impatient about? The coming of the Lord. So here's the first lesson. Be patient until the second coming. They wanted it now. And there are days, I do too, when I read of all the unborn babies, Planned Parenthood is killing in its clinics. Um, it, it very much troubles me now all over the United States. We have gay marriage. Gay marriage is neither gay nor marriage. You know, it troubles me now a number of states have recreational marijuana use. And very troubling is that kids who have an iPhone can access hardcore pornography like this. You mean, put all that together. I want the second coming of Christ to be now where he'll come back and put everything right. But there's one reason I don't want it quite now. And this comes from 1 Peter chapter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me read this. The Lord is not slow about his promise of the second coming of Christ, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. In other words, I have family and friends who aren't saved yet. So for their so sake, so they can be saved before the second coming, I can slow down. Look at verse 7. Be patient, brothers, till the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now look at verse 8 there. What will help my heart be patient and strengthened if I think about it? According to that, the coming of the Lord. What will help me be a more patient person if I concentrate, think about the second coming of the Lord? See, in our day, Today, Christians think about their death, or they think about heaven. But in the early church, they were fixed on the second coming of Christ. They thought it was going to happen soon. 
story goes that many years ago, a woman had her women friend in for lunch. They're sitting around the table, Christian women, talking about the second coming of Christ. Well, finally, the ladies left, and the, the woman starts looking for her little girl. Looks all through the house, can't find her daughter. Finally goes way up into the attic and finds her little girl sitting in a white dress in front of the attic window. And she said, honey, what are you doing up here? I looked all over for you. Well, I heard you ladies say that Jesus is coming soon, and I wanted him to find me in my white dress waiting. <laughs> That's the way the early church was. And, and do you know that when you fix your thoughts and your, your hope on the second coming of Christ, that purifies you, that cleans you up? Listen to this verse from 1 John 3.3. 3. We know that if Christ should appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, the second coming, purifies himself as he is pure. So we need to be more like the early church and think about the second coming of Christ a lot more. If you go to Europe, into the cathedrals, there are many cathedrals in Europe that are a thousand years old. You walk in the door and over the door is a sculpture of the second coming of Christ. With him coming down in the clouds, the dead are being raised, saved are being pulled into heaven, damned are being pulled into hell. And then you go inside the church, there's a big mural up of the second coming of Christ. And this was a big deal in ancient middle, uh, medieval Europe. It was a big deal for the first century. We need to purify our hearts by thinking more on the second coming of Christ. Look at verse 9. Do not complain, brothers, against one another. Here's the next lesson. Do not groan against people. Beware of groaning. Literally, the word there is not complain, it's groan. And one scholar wrote about this verse. The word groan here speaks of inner distress more than open complaint. What is forbidden here is not the loud denunciation of others, but the unexpressed feeling of bitterness or the smoldering resentment that may express itself in a groan or a sigh. <coughs> so beware of groaning against people behind their back. And look at why. Verse 9, do not complain, brothers, against another, one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Here's the next lesson. If you groan against people, you will be judged. There's a certain person I've known many years. I think he's probably the most negative, gossipy, critical person I've ever known in my life. And he just doesn't have many friends. And his own behavior has judged him. Beware of groaning against people. And look at verse 9. Lest you be judged, behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Here's the next lesson. Picture Jesus standing at your door. That's one good way to be patient. Picture Jesus is before you regularly. Let me just show you a picture here. Some of you have this in your church. Some of you have it in your house. This is the famous picture from Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door in your heart, and I'm knocking. Let me in. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3. Well, there was a church worker 
that was going to door to door in her neighborhood sharing a postcard of that picture, trying to get people to come to church. She went to one house and the father said, thank you, I'll, I'll take it, and he put it on the refrigerator. Not a religious man, but was raised with all that. That night they're having dinner. Little girl looks at the refrigerator. Daddy, who is that man? And why is he knocking on that door? The father didn't want to talk about it and just continued with his meal. But Daddy, who is that man? And why is he knocking at that door? And finally said, well, honey, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's eat our meal. And, but Daddy, why is he knocking at that door? And again, he tried to ignore it. And, Daddy, why is he knocking at that door? Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to come into your heart. And the little girl said, Daddy, why don't they let him in? And that question so troubled the father. The next Sunday, the whole family was in church. When you and I are tempted to be impatient, to grumble against people, we need to picture Jesus Christ standing right at the door, is what it says. And, and let me show you one other thing here. I saw this at a garage sale. And here is, I had to buy it. It's not the exact picture, but it's, it's you know, I don't know where the one left from my family. I was raised with this exact picture at the top of our stairs when I was a kid. So every night as a little boy when I went to bed, I had to stare Jesus in the face. Mom and Dad were smart to put this at the top of the stairs. And, and I, I, I preached this once, and a family in the church said, Pastor Brock, uh, can you find us that picture? And so we got them the exact, they put, they put a similar picture right at the top of their stairs. Because according to this verse, you know, don't grumble against people. The judge is right at your door. It, it would help us be patient if we would remember that when we're impatient. Story goes of a dad one night who took his little boy into the apple orchard to steal apples. And he gave his little boy the gunny sack and said, okay, now open it. And then he looked to the left and to the right. Okay, Junior, let's start putting the apples in. And the little boy said, Daddy, there's one place you didn't look. Dad goes, where? Daddy, you didn't look up. We need to be very conscious that Jesus is standing right at our door every second of the day. Look at verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Another way to be patient, if you want to become patient, think of the prophets. Think of uh, Jeremiah. Uh, they beat up Jeremiah. They put him in stocks. They put him in prison. At one point, they lowered Jeremiah into the well, and he had to live in the mud. Next time you're about to be impatient, think of what Jeremiah went through. I had a lady that said, you know what brings me peace, Pastor Brock? I love to read the lives of the saints. I'll, I'll, I'll buy a book about some saint, some Christian before us. And when I read what these saints went through, it gives me perspective that maybe I don't have it so bad. Look at verse 11. You have heard of the endurance of Job 
and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full and compassionate and merciful. Here's the next way to be patient. Think about Job. I mean, you probably have not had all your property wiped out in one day. Job did. You probably didn't lose all your kids to death in one day. Job did. You probably haven't had boils from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet day after day. Job did. But look at the end of the book. At the end of the book, God restores him, and he gets twice as much as he ever had. So next time you're about to grumble, think about what Job went through. I'll tell you what helps me when I get into self-pity. It helps me to get out of the house and go visit the hospitals and pray with people who are sick. And I then leave the hospital thinking, now what was I complaining about? <laughs> all right, let, let's sum all this up. How can I become a more patient person? Well, here's a man and wife. They're at the stoplight in their car. He's type A. She's a very type B person. Let's take this time to think about life. <laughs> and, and if you're a type A person like, like I tend to be, I, I encourage you to do this. Next time you're at a stoplight, just take a moment and think about the second coming of Christ, how the world will end, Christ will come down in the clouds, judge the world, and make everything right. And then all of a sudden, that stoplight's not such a big deal. Or think about Job, think about Jeremiah, get some perspective, and I guess that stoplight isn't that big a deal. And I close with this. I'm pretty conservative now, but when I was in high school, I was liberal. And I put my pastor through a lot. And I remember putting up my hand, you know, Pastor Schatz, if you were born in China, you'd be a Buddhist too. And there's, there's no hell. It's not fair for God to send anybody to hell. Pastor Schatz was very patient with me. Well, Tom, the Bible says there's a hell. There's a hell. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, there's other ways to get to heaven. You don't have to believe. Well, Tom, Jesus said, I'm the only way to the Father, John 14, 6. So Jesus, and he was patient with me for about three years. And when I'm in college, I start to reread the Bible, taking it much more seriously than I used to. And I came around. And Pastor Schutz died uh, just a few years ago, but before he died, I was able to see him. And I said, Pastor Schutz, thank you for being so patient with this ornery teenager. It worked. <laughs> and you know, a big reason God wants us to be patient with people, it just might save them. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock, to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible and our everyday Lord, walk with the Lord. If you've got a question or a Bible verse that you're having trouble understanding, we'd invite you to send a question to our show. At the end of the program, you'll see our website and you can send a question and we'll handle it on a later show. Today, I have a couple questions for what you've talked about. When exactly did Job live? You know, the book of Job has very ancient language, which makes us think it's a real old book. You know, Abraham was one of the patriarchs. He lived about 2000 BC. 
they think Job lived about that time, somewhere between 2000 and 1000 BC. So he, he's one of the patriarchs, and he's one of the old, old stories in the Bible. So they actually lived, though, before anybody knew that there was going to be a Savior. Oh, absolutely, yes. Although, you know, some people, when, when God says to Eve in the garden, you know, the sn you're going to step on the snake's head, and the snake will, you know, bite the devil. Uh, excuse me, uh, the Savior, your, your seed will bite the devil. That's kind of a, maybe the very earliest kernel of a prophecy of the coming of Christ, and that would have been way before Job. Mm. But it was kind of not clear until much later. So when did Jeremiah live? Jeremiah, who, we, who got thrown into the well uh, and lived in the mud for a while, he lived in 600 B.C. So he would have been after um, Job. Okay. Can you explain who exactly James was? Yeah, this is the book of James, James. we just preached out of. There are four different Jameses in the New Testament. Most people think this James was the Lord's brother. You know, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. I'm a Protestant, and the Catholics would disagree with this. But the New Testament does talk about Jesus having brothers and sisters. One of his brothers was named James, who became a leader in the early church and was that there at the uh, Acts 15 when they were deciding about circumcision. So it's probably that James, the brother of the Lord. But there is more than one there's, James. There's four Jameses in the New Testament. Wow. So some of this is guesswork, but that's early church would, would say that, I believe. So did the early Christians think the second coming would come in their lifetime? You know, they, they certainly did. Wow. And, and, uh, and in a sense, you know, were they wrong? Well, Jackie, every time a person dies, the second coming happens in miniature for them. So, uh, but yeah, they were wrong technically uh, because it didn't happen in their lifetime. Okay, so what's going to happen exactly with the second coming? Okay, Christians have been waiting for Jesus. You'll hear trumpets, you'll look up. It says Jesus will descend in the clouds and then all the dead will be raised. And those who trusted Christ go to heaven, those who rejected Christ go to hell. And then the Bible says the earth melts with fire, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we inherit the new heavens and the new earth. So that's what happens at the second coming. Okay, we have a, a question here that kind of goes with your point that you've just been making. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's regarding a situation that you talked about and at the end of the presentation, you stated that at the second coming, the dead will rise and will all be at, the time, at that time be judged. I understand that will be the time everyone will be judged to go to live with God in heaven or to be condemned to live in hell, depending on how our lives were spent on earth. So if that judgment is not made until the second coming, how can we know that our God-fearing loved ones are now in heaven? Okay. Uh, two things, I, and a lady wrote that in, and, and I said two things in response. Um, I'm going to be very Lutheran and Pauline here. She says, you know, you go to heaven or hell according to how, you, how well you've lived on earth. Well, then everybody goes to hell because nobody has lived well on earth. We all deserve hell. And I explained to her we're saved by grace, by what Jesus did on the cross, not by you earning your way into heaven. So that, that was the biggest thing I said to her. But, Jackie, that question is very, very, of all the questions I've been asked, in my many years as being a, this one you get a lot. Is grandma in heaven now? Or is she waiting till judgment day to be raised from the dead? And the answer is yes and yes. 
Her spirit, I believe, is in heaven now. Today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus said to the thief. But grandma and the thief on the cross and all the, un- all the believers before us haven't received their new perfect resurrection body yet. They will be raised imperishable on the last day and their, holy, their spirit will be connected with their perfect new eternal body. I think that's the best way I know of to put both of those scriptures together. I think it's a hard thing for people to even imagine, though. I mm-hmm. mean, in, it's probably more confusing because so many people have so many different ideas of mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You don't get reincarnated. That's Hinduism. You don't come back as a cow. That's Hinduism. You don't merge into nothing. That's Buddhism. And when you die, it's heaven or hell. Okay. So, um, can you explain the rapture in the millennium? Yeah. Now this is going to, whenever I talk on this I get emails and letters and people send me books. Let me just explain this. I believe in the rapture. The word rapture means caught up. But I think we're caught up to meet Christ in the air when he comes down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not seven years. There's a very popular teaching in America, it's been around since about 1820, that Christians disappear seven years before Christ returns and go to heaven then all the bad stuff happens, and then the second coming happens. That's not been the way Christians have understood the Bible for 2,000 years. Christians have understood the Bible to teach, we get caught up, not seven years before Jesus comes down. We get caught up when he comes down. In other words, Christians will be persecuted at the end of time. And people say, well, God would never make the church go through that. And my response is, if you ask the Christians in North Korea, Do you think the church will go through the tribulation? They would say, what do you mean will? We're going through it. The first 300 years of Christianity, Jackie, Christians were boiled in oil, thrown to the lions. Christians were murdered mercilessly by the uh, ancient Roman Empire. I don't see anything in the New Testament that teaches we get to miss that before the second coming. We'll be here, I think, for the Antichrist and all the stuff that happens. what is the millennium actually? Yeah, if you read Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus comes down, he sets up his reign on earth for a thousand years. And there are some Christians that take that literally. I tend to. But there are other Christians that say, no, Revelation is a vision. It's, it's talking symbolically. We don't press all the details of a vision. So there are amillennialists, which means there's no literal millennium really. There are post-millennialists, that would be more like where I am, that Christ comes down and then he does reign on the earth for a thousand years. And, and so uh, what I need to say though, Jackie, only the Lord knows some of this stuff. And when, you know, when, when people write me letters, Pastor Brock, you don't believe in the rapture? You're so unbiblical. I mean, they think this is the doctrine of the Trinity. What it's exactly not. do people think the rapture is? The, the people that believe in the, they believe that before the uh, tribulation comes, before the last difficult period of life happens on earth with the persecution of the church, they think Christians disappear and get to miss all that. I just don't see the Bible anywhere teaching that. And they'll send me the verses and doesn't this say that? And I read it and I think, no. <laughs> Paul says to Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a lot godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, Pastor Brock, do you think you showed that picture? This is what's bringing this question up. Do you think a Christian should have a picture of Jesus in the house? Especially, I'm asking it, because no one knows what he looked like, supposedly. Yeah. 
Well, Jackie, did Jesus have long hair and a beard? It never says that in the Bible. That's maybe my he next did. question. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he did, but maybe he didn't. It just never says. All right, then, should I have a picture on my wall where Jesus has a beard? I, some people think it's idolatry to that's have a picture of Jesus. That's what I was just you. I don't think that's idolatry. I don't bow down and worship that picture. It's just a reminder that Jesus is real. Does he have a beard? I don't know. Did he have a beard? I don't know. But it's just a reminder that Christ is real. I don't think anything's wrong with having a picture of Jesus in your house. Okay. I mean, Jack, Jackie, I know a very liberal Christian. She says she's a Christian. She has no cross in her house. She has no picture of Jesus up. She does have a statue of Buddha. You know, be careful what you put in your house. But I think a, a cross is fine. Okay. I guess then, you know, this is maybe going to sound childish question, but mm -hmm. did Jesus really have long hair and a beard? I mm -hmm. mean, you mm -hmm. see that in pictures, yeah. but we never saw, we won't see Jesus until... Right, and so we don't know the answer. You'll notice the picture that I grew up at the top of the stairs. Jesus kind of looks like a blonde-haired Swede. He didn't have blonde hair. He, uh, he was Jewish. He would have had dark hair. Uh, but you know, Jackie, if you go to China and they have a picture of Jesus up, he kind of looks Chinese. If you go to parts of Africa and they have a picture up, Jesus looks pretty dark-skinned. You know, so I think, I, and I don't think anything is wrong with that per se. In Jesus, uh, literally, Jesus would have been Jewish, so he would have been darker than you and I, but not like a Nigerian black person. But, uh, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Jesus is who he is. Amen. Okay. If you have a complaint against someone, what should you do? Yeah. We talked I mean, about James chapter 5 says don't complain against people. What I encourage people to do is you go counterintuitive. The intuitive thing, if you're bugged with your husband, is for you to go to other people and tell them. The counterintuitive thing is you go right to your husband. Jackie, if you're bothering me, the intuitive thing is for me to gripe about you behind your back. The counterintuitive, harder thing to do, but better thing to do, is for me to talk to you directly about it. So if you're not willing to talk to the person's face about it, just be quiet. Okay. What helps you to be more patient. I, I have a tendency to kind of fly off the handle and not take that extra mm -hmm. second or so mm -hmm. to think. My biggest help is prayer. When I get bugged, I get on my knees and I pray. More than anything, prayer helps me be patient. And talking it out with another Christian also can help me be patient. So. Okay. So you don't have to lower your expectations? Well, that's what I was going to It does help to lower your expectation. I mean, if I'm expecting every stoplight not to be there, but okay. for me to go right through it, I mean, who said, who said the stoplights have to stop for me in this world? So lower your expectations. That'll help you be more patient. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. Um, we pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings in the next weeks to come and that you'll continue joining us, and God bless until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.